happy Tuesday, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. For Tuesday, this is April 27th, 2021. On Tuesdays, of course, we play a drama. And what we are going to play for you today is an episode of the Hollywood Star Playhouse. And this, uh, well, we'll tell you a little bit about more about uh, about the Hollywood Star Playhouse in just a minute. Uh, popular series back in the 50s. But what you need to do, if you want to listen to a really, well, this is not exactly an intense drama tonight, but it's a drama. <laughs> Get your feet up. Relax. Just uh let the cares of the day drift away. Maybe get yourself a little refreshment and just unwind. Because in just a moment, we're going to play this week's old-time radio drama from the Hollywood Star Playhouse. Hollywood Star Playhouse. Now I'm going to read just a little bit here from um, from John, one of John Dunning's books. The Hollywood Star Playhouse was yet another anthology using the Hollywood superstar formula. Under the direction of Jack Johnstone, it came to CBS for Bromo Seltzer. Bromo Seltzer. Bromo Seltzer. Remember Bromo Seltzer? Uh, did do they still make Bromo Seltzer? Do they still make Alka Seltzer? I I guess I I remember when I was a kid I, I would I would spend the night at my grandmother's house in Long Beach my grandmother and grandfather uh, usually once a week and if I had a, 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 even a slight sneeze <laughs> my my grandma would go plop uh, two Alka Seltzers in a glass of water and make me drink it and I mean she thought that. Alka-Seltzer was a panacea for everything. It got to the point where I actually kind of taste it. I like the taste of Alka-Seltzer. I don't, my mother used to go nuts, but then I guess she figured, well, it's not going to do him any harm. But Alka-Seltzer, I don't think, was ever designed to get rid of a cold. But don't tell my grandma that. And to this day, though, I drink seltzer water a lot. Uh, you know how people will drink bottled water? Well, if I'm going to buy bottled water, I always want to have it with a little fizz in it, get the seltzer water. And it's, you know, no calories, no salt. It's just pure water, but it's been seltzerized. What do they do to make seltzer? They put carbon dioxide in it or something. I don't know. Anyway. Okay, back to uh, back to Hollywood Star Playhouse. This uh, It came to CBS for Bromo Seltzer on Monday nights on a- in uh, April of 1950, and it had Jimmy Stewart as the star. Then it moved for the 1951-1952 seasons to Thursday nights over at ABC, and then finally came to NBC for the 1952-53 run on Sundays on uh, Sunday nights. It featured original dramas, tales of suspense, thrills, and mystery, written by Hollywood's finest writers and featuring Hollywood's greatest stars. The Hollywood Star Playhouse made an average showing for a series of this type. It did bring such stars as Deborah Carr, Vincent Price, and Victor Mature before the microphones. Marilyn Monroe made her radio debut on Hollywood Star Playhouse in 1952. 
And then he mentions that one 1951 ABC episode, The Hour of Truth with Vincent Price, was unquestionably great radio. But the series itself never made much of a splash. Herbert Rawlinson was host when the Hollywood Star Playhouse opened, and the music was by Jeff Alexander. Jack Johnstone moved with the show to ABC, but Rawlinson was replaced by Orville Anderson, and the music was by Basil Adlam. The episode uh, tonight we're going to listen to does, in fact, feature uh, Vincent Price, and it was from February the 5th, 1951. It's entitled Calculated Risk. And don't listen to this one with a critical mind. (laughs) This one's just for fun. There's a lot of holes in the plot, and uh, it's done a lot of tongue-in-cheek. I don't even know if tongue-in-cheek's the right word. It's just sort of inane, but I hope you enjoy it anyway. Now, Mr. Vincent Price on the Bromo Seltzer Hollywood Star Playhouse. Bromo Seltzer presents Hollywood Star Playhouse. Tales of suspense, thrills, adventure by Hollywood's finest writers with Hollywood's top stars. Portions of this program are transcribed and it's brought to you by Bromo Seltzer, the fast, effective headache help which reminds you to... Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Herbert Rawlinson. Welcome to the Bromo Seltzer Hollywood Star Playhouse. Crime paid, and paid exceedingly well for Bart Willard. But he was no ordinary crook. He was a virtuoso. Tonight, Mr. Vincent Price will take you on an amazing adventure in crime as he portrays for you the incomparable Bart Willard in Calculated Risk. When a general sets out to win a war, he has to take certain chances, what he calls calculated risks. It's the same with a man who sets out to steal a million dollars on his wedding day. Bullet, you're kidding. Am I? Hold up the Hyperion payroll service? Why, it's never been done. It's never been tried. Yeah, and you know why. That place is built like a fort. It'd take an army to get inside It will take two men, Ames. Reading from left to right, us. Yo and me hold up the Hyperion payroll service. Uh, You've been bumped on the head lately? I never get bumped on the head or anywhere else because I use my head to plan things. Plan them so carefully, so thoroughly, so accurately that I've never yet pulled a job that ended in complications. Yeah, but a a job like this... Then your answer is no? Well... How'd you ever happen to pick me out, Willard? Because you're an A1 electrician. What's my being an electrician got to do with it? I don't think we ought to go into that, unless and until you make up your mind that you want in on the million dollars. Million? (laughs) Even a Hyperion never has that much on hand. It will have on the 31st. A nice round million in cash. 
A million smackers. What kind of split? Well, when a man is dividing a million dollars, he can afford to be generous. How about uh, 50-50? 500,000. It's crazy, Will. It's the craziest thing I ever heard of. But you might get away with it. What do you mean, might? Okay, count me in. Good. Now then, Ames, you're never to come to see me. You're never to so much as call me. I'll contact you at my own discretion. You got that? Hey, uh... Well, wait, wait a minute. Yes? You haven't told me yet why you need an electrician. Why, to set off the burglar alarm at the Hyperion payroll service. To set off the... What? I had led Ames to believe that he was the only other person necessary to my plan. Technically, this was not correct. There were others who were destined to play an important part, particularly the woman I loved. Hi, am I late? Aren't you always? <laughs> Karen, I believe you'd be late at your own wedding. Is that a proposal? It is. Well, stop the car, you oaf, <laughs> so I can accept. And I will not be late at my own wedding. Oh, yes, you will, but you're worth waiting for. But you say the nicest. I'm the nicest guy. <laughs> but I shouldn't be blocking traffic. Got a cigarette? Yeah, you know I don't smoke. You know I do. Yes, and I also know that you're always out of cigarettes. <laughs> Here. You're going to make a perfect husband, Bart. Light? Well, you could at least bring matches. <laughs> Press that knob. Oh. How long does it take? For the car lighter? No, silly, to get a license. Three days. <laughs> Here's your light. Oh. Thanks. We could go to Yuma. Karen, my sweet, we're not getting married until the 31st. Hey, that's a whole week off. It has to be the 31st, Karen, for uh, sentimental reasons. Oh. Well, we'll make it a morning wedding. I always say... No, I'm... Karen, an afternoon wedding. Four o'clock on the afternoon of the 31st. For sentimental reasons? Yes. A million of them. I didn't really intend for the wedding ceremony to be held at four o'clock on the afternoon of the 31st. Four o'clock was when I would be robbing the Hyperion payroll service of a million dollars. That seeming discrepancy was one of my calculated risks. Just one of them. I don't know. Well, it, the, the, the more I think... You're of... not supposed to think, Ames. That's my function. Yeah, I know. I, I, I know. But the, the more I... Well, at least we ought to have a few others in with us, eh? And that would only make the risk larger and the split smaller. But couldn't we have one more? <laughs> Meaning Eddie Cole? Yeah. Eddie's pulled some big jobs, and now that he's out of stir again... You... Yeah, he'll be the number one suspect. What? Ames, when a man who has pulled some big jobs returns to the scene of his operations... The police are bound to think of him first when a project like ours unfolds. Hey, uh, that's right. We better forget about Eddie. Not entirely. Well, well, what do you mean by that? Ames, you're simply going to have to leave details to me. Now, uh, let's review the modus operandi. Hmm? Oh, you and your college education. Well, first of all, I got to set off that burglar alarm. At precisely three thirty. Now, that part should be simple enough for you. Yeah, that part, but what... One point at a time. Now, after the excitement at the Hyperion payroll service has died down over the false alarm, 
A call will go out to the burglar alarm company. Result? Two electricians will be dispatched to repair the system at the Hyperion. These two electricians will be wearing overalls with the company insignia and will be carrying company identification cards. Identification cards? I didn't even think of that. I did. And I already have reasonable facsimiles of such cards bearing reasonable facsimiles of our faces as they will be made up for that occasion. Makeup, eh? No way you're wearing masks? Masks, my dear Ames, are old-fashioned, obsolete, archaic. Such techniques are for amateurs. Well... And for the professional, the man who makes an art of his trade, there are ways to change the color of one's eyes, the tilt of one's nose. <laughs> Don't worry, our makeup will be most effective. Yeah, well... Uh, let's see, where were we? With the two electricians. Now then, as they drive out of the company garage, they will be unaware of the fact that I'm hiding in the back of their panel truck. But as they cut through the park en route to the Hyperion plant, I shall reveal myself and take over. Well, what are you going to do with them two? Don't be squeamish. Oh. You don't stop at nothing, do you? <laughs> Not at anything I consider necessary. But to go on, I will pick you up at the farthest side of the park and... You will crawl into the back of the truck and put on the coveralls. We shall arrive at the Hyperion plant, be admitted into the garage entrance, and then, just as the shift changes at four o'clock, be welcomed into the stronghold itself. Yeah. And what do we do then? Why, steal the million dollars. <laughs> I was incredibly busy during those last few days, but I managed to be seen frequently in public with Karen, and even on one occasion to join her in dining with her next of kin, Uncle John. To everyone but Karen, and now me, of course, Uncle John was known as Captain Dorsey, head of the robbery detail at police headquarters. Well, I don't suppose it's been any secret to you, Willard, that I tried my best to put a damper on this romance. Well, I assure you, Uncle John, I shall never let that stand between us. Uh. Well, Nevada has been under suspicion in the past and has no visible means of support in the present. Uncle John, you are slandering the man I love. And after he's been good enough to want you with the wedding. Yes, I know. I'm just a suspicious old... Uh, uh, Karen, I wish I could make it at that. Hey, what do you mean you wish you could make it? Who's going to give me away? But an afternoon wedding. And in the middle of the week. Honey, I'm sorry. A fine I... relative you turned out to be. You'd rather be out arresting people. But, Karen, I've got a responsibility. Well, what about your responsibility to me? Bart said it would be like this. Oh, I did, eh? Well, I meant to... I know what you meant. <laughs> well, all right, Karen. I'll be there. Uh, that's better. And before I forget, you're to stop by and take me to the chapel. Well, why doesn't he? Oh, you know the old taboo about the bridegroom seeing the bride before the ceremony? <laughs> yeah, but if it's too much trouble, I... Silliest thing I ever heard of, but... Well, all right. Then I almost forgive you. Now, everything's all set. Yes. And I'll be waiting for the two of you outside the chapel at four o'clock. Karen would be late, of course. And so Uncle John would have no way of knowing that I hadn't been there at the chapel waiting for them at four o'clock. And since Uncle John was head of the robbery detail at police headquarters, <laughs> admittedly, there was the chance that Karen and her uncle wouldn't be late enough, or even late at all. But again, that was one of my calculated risks. And as of four o'clock on the afternoon of the 31st, I was supremely confident that all would be well. 
Everything, as the generals say, was proceeding according to plan. Yeah, the other shift was wondering what happened to you guys. Heavy traffic. Yeah, heavy traffic. Oh, yeah, ain't it a crime? Well, when I was coming to hey, work... Hey, you. Me? Both of you guys. You're new with the outfit, huh? So what if we are? Nothing. Just part of my job to ask questions. Yeah, but we already checked our identifications. <laughs> Don't mind, Joe. He's okay, except he's always acting like something's going to happen. Well, how do you know it won't? Look, Joe, when you've been here as many years as I well, have... Well, we better get to work. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the layout? <laughs> oh, sure. Hey, stop. What's the matter now? Call your office. Oh, yeah, you're supposed to call your office. They phoned a couple of minutes ago. Oh, we'll do it later. They said right away. And I think you're better. Now, look, Joe, if they want to call later... No, no, maybe he's right. Where's the phone I can use? Well, that one right on the desk there. Come to think of it, I'd rather use this. Huh? Hey, so I was right. But you're wrong. If you think you can do anything about it, I'm right behind you, see? You guys are nuts if you think you can get away with this. Shut up, Joe. Don't try anything, Joe. Good advice, Joe. Try anything and you're dead. Now then, listen carefully. was elemental. When two men have guns in their backs, they cooperate, and so did their fellow workers. In a gratifyingly short time, the money was out of the vault, and the men assigned to guard it were in. Total elapsed time for the million-dollar robbery of the Hyperion payroll service? Eleven minutes. Not so fast, Ames. It wouldn't do to get a ticket now for speeding. Okay, okay. You almost done back there? Almost. Hey, uh, well, Willard, now that the job's finished, what was that crack you made the first time we talked? You know about Eddie Cole. Oh, I contrived to have him off on a wild goose chase this afternoon. What for? Obviously so that he won't have an alibi when he's accused of the Hyperion job. No. You don't stop at nothing, do you? As you've remarked before. Oh. Behold, the bridegroom emerges. Hold all up for your wedding. <laughs> Well, when do we dip you up? That's a timely question. Hey, look, uh, turn into this clump of trees. Now, isn't that your car parked over there? Correct. Pull up beside it. Yeah. Now, Ames, comes the final reckoning. Yeah, 500 Gs. I'm already 18 <laughs> minutes late for my wedding. I have to rush this. Yeah, well... Remember, well, Ames, my saying that the fewer who knew about this job, the greater the split and the smaller the risk? Well, it's only... No, well... Uh... No. You, you wasn't... I don't stop at anything, remember? <laughs> Sorry, Ames. It's a risk you should have calculated. into my associate Ames was one of the least palatable aspects of the million-dollar robbery of the Hyperion payroll service. But now that this was done, everything was taken care of. If only Karen and Uncle John were late enough for the wedding. I stopped at the first drugstore and phoned Karen's apartment. The time? 4.23. To a girl as incurably tardy as Karen, 23 minutes was nothing. Surely she couldn't have left already. Or had my repeated remarks that she'd be late for her own wedding had a reverse psychology? 
Or had Uncle John, the ever-punctual Captain Dorsey, head of the police robbery detail, managed by some irony of fate to get her off to the wedding on time? up. They weren't waiting outside the chapel, nor was Uncle John's car in the lot reserved for wedding parties. It could only mean that they had given up waiting for me, probably been calling my apartment from four o'clock on, and then left with Karen in tears and Uncle John in high dudgeon. Now I was totally devoid of any kind of alibi. And as soon as Uncle John delved into the Hyperion holdup, I was inside the chapel about to press the little bell that would summon the minister from the rectory when panic seized me. What was I waiting for? The million dollars was in the luggage compartment of my car. The thing to do was jump into that car and head for a hideout. Yes, that was it. Bart, Bart Willis. Karen. Where do you think oh. you're going? Oh, well, I, I, I... Oh, how many times have you told me I'd be late for my wedding? Well, I just couldn't start our marriage off by making you out a liar. But I, I called your apartment and no one answered. Uh, something happened on the way? Certainly did. You know Karen... As if it wasn't bad enough that we were late getting started, what does she do but run out of cigarettes? Of course. And by the time I parked, went into a drugstore... You knew I was this way when you fell in love with me, Bart. Now, don't tell me you'd want to change me. My sweet. Not for a million dollars. It wasn't until the ceremony was over and I had given Uncle John a hundred dollars of the Hyperion payroll services money with which to pay the minister that the call for him finally came. My uh, bride and I waited outside for Uncle John to rejoin us. Oh, wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it would happen on one afternoon I take off? Something wrong? Wrong. Wait till the papers get hold of this. Uncle John, what's happened? A million-dollar robbery, that's what, in broad daylight. Oh, no, where? I think all I've got to do is stand here and... Oh, where's my car? Good luck, Uncle John. Yeah, good luck. We'll look you up the first day we're back from our honeymoon. Speaking of honeymoons, Mrs. Willard. Mrs. Willard. Oh, darling, isn't everything perfect? My sentiments, exactly. Mm. Willard, stop kissing my niece and open the luggage compartment of your car. Huh? You heard me. Open the luggage compartment of your car. But, Uncle John, I... I... Stop calling me Uncle John. I'm Captain Dorsey of the robbery detail, and don't you forget it. I assure you I haven't for a moment. Well, are you going to open the luggage compartment of your car? Uncle John, you're being simply awful. All you have to do is tell Bart why. I've got a flat tire, that's why. And my tire jack is broken. Captain, the most amazing coincidence, my tire jack won't work either. Oh, no. Why don't you just hop into a cab? Cab, nothing. I'm taking your car. Viewing it objectively, the situation was almost amusing. Here was Captain Dorsey roaring off to investigate a million-dollar robbery, and in the luggage compartment of the car he was driving reposed the million dollars. (laughs) But I confess I wasn't enjoying the joke as of the moment. I was far too intent on getting the captain's tire fixed and then returning his car to him so that I could retrieve my own. What is this place, Bob? Oh, you know, the outfit that was robbed. Hyperion Payroll Service, I think they call it. They said at headquarters we'd find Uncle John here. Oh, Oh, look, there's your car. Yeah, yeah. Now, why don't you run inside and give Uncle John his keys and get mine? Uh Uh-uh. I'm going to get even with Uncle John for being such a meanie on my wedding day. You go. 
Look, my sweet, they're investigating a holdup in there. If I were to walk inside, well, they might start asking me questions. You mean before you were able to explain you only came to trade keys with Uncle John? Yes. Oh, wouldn't that be a laugh? Especially if someone thought he recognized you as one of the holdup men. Those things happen sometimes, you know. Yes, I know. I'm almost tempted. Except, of course, that it uh, might affect our honeymoon. Hey, that's different. You give me those keys. <laughs> Here you are. I'll be right back. Uh-oh. What? Look who's coming. Uncle John. Oh, you barely caught me. About to leave for headquarters with this fellow. Hello, Willard. Do I know you? Name is Cove. Eddie Cove. Cove? No, no, that doesn't ring any bell. Not even a burglar alarm? Uncle John, who is this person? Our number one suspect, that's who. That's what you say. You've got nothing to say because you've got no alibi. If you ask me, Uncle John, he doesn't look smart enough to steal all that money. Ah, you hear that, Captain? Now, Willard, he looks smart enough. We're wasting time. Where are those keys? Here you are, darling. Thanks for the use of your car, Willard. Sorry I chewed your ears off. Quite all right, Uncle John. Uh, coming wise? Let's go, husband. Dorsey, you fool. Don't let him get away. He pulled the job and framed me for it. Yeah, it all adds up. Look, Cole. He's one of the shrewdest operators on the loose, I tell you. Ask him where he was at 4 o'clock this afternoon. The captain doesn't have to ask me. He knows I was at the chapel waiting to get married. Oh, yeah? So there. As for your reflections on my character, they can only be dismissed as preposterous. Since this is my wedding day, I even find it in my heart to forgive you. Uh, uh, you did say your name was Cole? Captain, Captain Dorsey. Well, Sergeant? They found the other guy. What other guy? They pulled the job. Ames, remember him? Where? In the park with a bullet in him. But he's still breathing. How could I have been so incredibly stupid as to rush off without making sure that Ames was dead? Yes, and now what if he came to long enough to speak my name? This assuredly had not been one of my calculated risks. Again, panic boiled up within me. And as my bride and I drove away to start our honeymoon, it was all I could do to keep from jamming my foot down on the accelerator. Know something, husband? Huh? You are going to get a ticket if you don't slow down. Oh, oh, oh. Know something else, husband? Hmm. I have the distinct impression that I am talking to myself. Oh, I'm sorry. What? Cigarettes, I said. Over and over. What about cigarettes? The usual. Oh, but you can't be out. Uncle John bought you a pack. I left him in his car, I guess. Oh, Karen. You mean you forgot to bring me some? Look, I'll get them later. Why want them now? Please, Karen. Well, all you have to do is stop something. But I don't want to stop. Oh? So that's the way it is. What's the way what is? Just because we're married. Karen, you don't understand. Well, don't I? Then quit acting as if I was suddenly farthest from your thoughts. All right, all right, all right. First chance I get. There, that drugstore on the corner. Well? It was as I was coming out of the drugstore with a carton of cigarettes under my arm that I saw the police car. It pulled up to the curb. Two officers got out. Faintly, I could hear their two-way radio... It wasn't hard for me to imagine what it was saying. Ames had talked. So it was all over now, unless... That's when I started shooting. Bart! Bart! The only way, Karen, the only way. Look out! 
Well, Uncle John, that, that's the whole story. No, Willard, not the whole story. You mean uh, about Karen? What? Can't you guess? No. And another thing. You didn't calculate the biggest risk of all, the risk of losing your head. Oh? That radio car. The only reason it stopped was because you were in a no-parking zone. Then... But... But Ames... He died without ever regaining consciousness. Vincent? Now, wait a minute, Herb. Before you start telling me I was terrific, just remember that a play's only as good as its cast. I'm talking about Betty Lou Gerson, Ted Von Eltz, Ed Max, Byron Kane, and Jerry Hausner. Thanks, fellas. Thank you, Vincent. Vincent Price can soon be seen co-starring with Jane Russell and Robert Mitchum in the RKO production, His Kind of Woman. Tonight's play was written especially for Mr. Price by Maurice Zim with music composed and conducted by Jeff Alexander. The entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. And now here is the star of next week's thrilling story on Hollywood star Playhouse, Mr. Wendell Corey. I'm not a killer, Herb. I never have been, I swear it. But listen, from the minute they found the body, I didn't have a chance. Because they knew that I not only had time to kill, but I had time to kill. Time to kill sounds like a honey for next week, Wendell. Thank you. On tonight's program, all characters and incidents were fictitious. Any similarity to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. Portions of this program were transcribed. And now this is Herbert Rawlinson saying goodnight for all of us here on the Hollywood Star Playhouse. And for Bromo Seltzer, the fast, effective headache help in the familiar blue bottle. Bromo Seltzer, Bromo Seltzer, Bromo Seltzer, Bromo Seltzer, Bromo This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, did you like that one? It was pretty good, wasn't it? You know, I mean, it's way, way beyond real. But uh, those Casual crimes, you know, that's sort of what is what morphed into uh, James Bond, isn't it? And and then later, uh, oh, some of the Steve McQueen characters and, you know, the cool criminal, I do this and it's funny and I don't know, but it, it was fun. Vincent Price is originally from uh, St. Louis here and has a star on the Walk of Fame. Yes. <laughs> you probably didn't know that. But St. Louis has its own Walk of Fame, and it's located in University City in kind of an arts area of uh, St. Louis. And they do literally have stars on the sidewalk of St. Louisans that have been, you know, are renowned in show business. And there's some pretty cool people over there. There's Vincent Price, and there's Chuck Berry, and there's Carol Channing, and Kevin Klein, And now oh, I can probably name a dozen. I don't know if Kevin Klein has a star. I know that he has a presence here. Every year they give out local theater awards for uh, productions, uh, uh, the equity productions, you know, the, the ones where there's professional actors in them. And they're called the Kevin Klein Awards. Although I don't know that he ever comes into town. Never see him in town. 
So anyway, that was uh, Hollywood Star Playhouse, and of course that was for Bromo Seltzer. Bromo Seltzer. Bromo Seltzer. everybody that's going to kick things in the head for uh tuesday april 27 2021 we'll be back tomorrow with an old-time radio mystery a western on thursday and of course the archive show over the weekend and somewhere along the line i'm going to try to throw in another grab bag because i'm getting emails from you folks asking me for uh we're going to go out tonight with a couple of songs from 1951 these are not songs you're probably going to be real familiar with first one is by an artist by the name of Del Wood. It's, it's a, a famous old tune, but apparently he popularized it again in 1951. It's called Down Yonder, and you'll recognize it immediately. And the second one is by Guy Mitchell. I remember he had a, a popular song called Singing the Blues, and uh, this one is called There's Always Room at Our House. So anyway, these are both kind of catchy tunes. I don't know if uh, you're old enough to remember them, but if you do, Hats off to you. If not, this is what your parents or grandparents were listening to when they turned off Hollywood Star Playhouse and turned it over to the music channel and listened to songs just like these. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.
friends the next time you find yourself in our locality. Try a sample of our hospitality. There's always room at our house to share a smile or two. There's always room enough, dear friends, for you. We'll have some coffee and cake and maybe sing a tune or so. Introduce you to some folks you'd like to know. There's always room at our house. A good time always starts when every room is full of happy hearts. You really don't have to phone because we're mostly at home. Shining out the welcome on the door. Dear friends, the next time you want to be with folks who think you're grand, like to see your face and shake you by the hand. There's always room at our house to share a smile or two. There's always room enough, dear friends, for you. Shining up the welcome on the